From the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. The Evening Standard's editorial today condemns the unending tide of violence in London as two more teenagers are killed in stabbings. We say in The Leader that, of course, the police have put a lot of extra effort into trying to tackle this. There have been some results, but clearly the killings, unfortunately, are still continuing. There's something else driving it, which is causing people to go out, carry knives and then use them. Our Home Affairs editor, Martin Bentham, looks at the city's knife crime epidemic later. Well, she's five. She knows mummy's in prison. She knows mummy's in prison um, because people think she's done something wrong and she hasn't. Richard Ratcliffe has his five-year-old daughter back home, but his wife Nazanin remains in jail in Iran. We call for her immediate release. Also... You all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words, and yet I'm one of the lucky ones. On the UN's International Day of the Girl, we look at the impact of Greta Thunberg, even if she didn't win a Nobel Prize. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. The column itself is on page 14 of the paper and also online at standard.co.uk slash comment. Take a look just now. We'll be back in a moment. Hi there, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and across the Six Nations as Europe's elite go head-to-head in rugby's oldest international competition. Each week, we'll be looking at the QBE predictor, which forecasts the results of each round of matches. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe now and download wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. A 15-year-old died in his school uniform. An 18-year-old was stabbed to death on the street. Two more knife crime victims just five hours apart in a city that can't seem to stop the violence. Here's the standards view. The precise causes of the latest deaths are unclear at this stage, but regardless of whether there is a similar backdrop to either of the latest killings or not, several facts are clear. The first is the terrible distress that each of these unnecessary deaths inflict on families and friends and the shadow they cast over communities. Another obvious fact is that the solutions tried so far are having, at best, only limited effect. That makes a public health response imperative. It should eventually bring results by addressing root causes such as low achievement, negative influences and thwarted aspirations. None of this will bring back the lives lost, but as London grieves yet again, efforts to stop future fatalities must be redoubled. Martin Bentham, our Home Affairs editor, is here. Martin, so many of these stories have come across your desk now over the the last year. Why is this happening? Well, that's very, very hard to know, is the honest answer. Um, the root cause, I suppose, often is is gang conflict of one sort or another, the drug trade, fighting for territory, uh, fighting for pride sometimes. 
and then sometimes revenge attacks because one person has attacked somebody else and somebody else then wants to respond against the friends or the perpetrator of the first attack and so in this in these cases we don't know yet what's happened and it may be nothing to do with that but unfortunately in too many of the cases that we've seen where young people have died that that has been the backdrop to it and certainly that's what the met police have been saying for quite some time lots of initiatives have been announced lots of things are being done and yet it doesn't seem like they're working well we say in the leader that today that of course the police have put a lot of extra effort into trying to tackle this. The Cressida Dick, the commissioner, has, from the moment she took over, actually talked about uh, trying to control the violence as being her top priority, get the figures down. Well, I do think this is a new and tragic and worrying phenomenon. And we're clearly seeing more, more young people carrying knives, some of them thinking it will make them safer. Uh, and um, it, you know, pe people are deeply concerned about their children going on the, on the streets, so we see it. To an extent, they've had a limited amount of success. The injuries to young people under 25 have fallen um, to a degree. And, and of course, also there have been lots of arrests of, of people and quite a few convictions. So there have been some results, but clearly the killings, unfortunately, are still continuing. And so underlying it, there's something else driving it, which is causing people to go out, carry knives, and then use them. We have to be clear in these latest cases that they're being investigated and um, we don't know yet what's the cause behind them but in general looking at London's knife crime problem there does seem to be an issue with gangs as you've mentioned. Yes well there have been numerous studies and, and assessments of it and, and I think the view broadly is that it's again being talked about quite a bit that the county lines drug trade and the drug trade here is driving some of this that people are uh, trying to make money out of drugs, clearly, and therefore gangs fighting for, for turfs. One of the things this newspaper has previously supported is treating knife crime almost like a virus, like it's a disease, the public health approach. Yes, and, and others have, have articulated that as well. The mayor, perhaps slightly belatedly, has, has come on board with that idea and started trying to put money into youth clubs and to some of the uh, measures that might help to do it. The government similarly has talked that talk, although, I, as, I, as the leader says today, that when you look at a report today published on Belmarsh Prison, for example, which is dealing at the, 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 the end of it, of course, with people after they've already committed offences, but that talks there about how uh, there, there are gangs present in Belmarsh, 120 gangs in Belmarsh, and that their prevalence is so great that they're actually setting up uh, strongholds or have set up strongholds in two of the blocks, the house blocks there. So, of course, that's part of the public health approach that you need to, when people have gone wrong, you need to be able to rehabilitate them, turn them around, give them opportunity and, and stop them being dragged back into, either dragged in the first time or dragged further into gang involvement and the sort of thing which is just going to fuel violence not just inside prisons where unfortunately there's an awful lot of it but also outside as well and and create en enmities which are going to continue when these people are released which of course 99.9 percent .9 of them will be at some point in their lives Next. It was probably only on Wednesday afternoon that we finally got the exit visa um, and there was clearly a change of heart on the part of the Revolutionary Guard who, who were you know, clearly blocking it and it, it's, it's lovely to have her back. 
Home at last, the five-year-old daughter of a British-Iranian journalist locked up in Tehran. The Evening Standard wants Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe released. This afternoon, Richard Ratcliffe gave another emotional press conference, celebrating the return of his five-year-old daughter Gabriella to British soil. She'd been in Iran, where her mother Nazanin has been held in jail for more than three years. The Standard says it's time the whole family was brought back together. We went through various different options, and the toy shop was the one that landed. The heartwarming pictures of Richard Ratcliffe hugging his five-year-old daughter Gabriella at Heathrow last night as she returned from Tehran are tinged with sadness. The reason, of course, is that her mother Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe remains unjustly imprisoned in Iran on spying charges, which she has always denied. She knows mum is in prison. She knows mum is in prison um, because people think she's done something wrong and she hasn't. And there's an emotional understanding of that, so she'll sometimes you know, explain she doesn't like prison because the people in prison are bad because they hold mummy. Her incarceration continues to reflect badly on the Iranian regime, which appears to be using Ms. Sagari Ratcliffe as a pawn in its wider conflict with Western countries. I spoke to Nazanin, and, and of course she's really upset. Um, I mean, yeah, really upset. It's, it's one of the things she really didn't want to happen, was, was for her daughter to leave and her still be stuck in prison. Um, so that kind of turmoil of feelings and, and you know, speaking to the family just after Gabriella caught the flame, and of course they're in tears because they've looked after her for three and a half years. Mr Ratcliffe today renewed his appeal for the regime to change tack and finally release his wife to allow the family to be reunited. We hope his words are heeded. Miss Sagari Ratcliffe should be freed immediately. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. For a 16-year-old schoolgirl, Greta Thunberg has a lot of expectation on her shoulders. Today, there was disappointment for her supporters when she didn't pick up the Nobel Peace Prize. The judges instead honoured Ethiopia's President Abiy Ahmed for his role ending his country's 20-year-long war with Eritrea. For today, our editorial marked the UN's International Day of the Girl, celebrating young women around the world. And our deputy features editor, Phoebe Lockhurst, with me. And you think Greta's still an inspiration to a lot of people? She is. It's a shame. It would have been very poetic for her to win on International Day of the Girl. But she, you know, she is a complete inspiration. The the courage, the conviction, the, the kind of zealousness with which she's taken the climate change cause forward, I think, really is an inspiration to girls, women men, boys. I thought there was an interesting reaction to her not getting the prize. A lot of people very disappointed, but a lot of people very happy. Why is she so divisive? Oh, I think there's something quite frightening about Greta to lots of people. They see this kind of very impassioned uh, 16-year-old girl who's telling them something that maybe they don't want to hear. I think there's certainly a certain kind of cohort of of especially commentators and journalists who really don't want to listen to what a 16-year-old girl has to say about, about climate change. So she is divisive, I suppose, in that respect. But there are so many other people who think she's absolutely brilliant and, and inspiring and 
and quite powerful and the sort of person who we sort of should be looking to, to to lead us forward. And sometimes quite funny, you know, when she changes her bio to reflect what public <laughs> figures have said about her and that sort of thing. Yeah, she she's definitely be... funny. She's got a real sense of humour. And I think also, you know, the, the strength she's shown to deal with some of the stuff that gets thrown at her, you know, she really doesn't seem to be cowed by any of the negative reactions that, that some people have, have thrown at her. She's really good at kind of posting joyful Instagram pictures of herself on the boat and yeah, changing her Twitter bio and kind of issuing these these calls on Twitter saying that like, I will not be cowed. People might think this about me, but I don't care. I know what I'm doing. It is UN International Day of the Girl today. We have so many powerful women like Greta, and also if you look at uh, people like Nancy Pelosi in the United States, Elizabeth Warren, really powerful women. Do we still need a day like this for young women? I think we do. I think it's really easy to say that things like this are quite gimmicky. And, you know, on International Women's Day, you often get a kind of chorus of people saying, oh, where's the International Men's Day, etc. But I think that raising awareness of inequalities and the ways in which girls are still held down, maybe not so much in the Western world, but in other parts of the world, certainly, it's an international day after all. I think that is still really important as a kind of raising awareness. Did you find things like this, or did, when you were younger, did you look up to, kind of hero figures like Greta for example to kind of inspire you I think I can't name anyone as wonderful as Greta (laughs) who I might but you know yes I think the idea of role models is is very important because you know that's the kind of you can't be it unless you can see it kind of kind of thing and I think for that reason just knowing that there are women girls etc doing things makes other women and girls think god I I could do that too that isn't just a job for for a man in a suit that's something that I I could do too and that could be me one day And since it is International Day of the Girl, why not take a listen to the Evening Standard's Women Tech Charge podcast, which celebrates women innovating in science, technology, engineering and math. The first episode's just gone up, featuring Rachel Riley. That's the leader, taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column at the end of a week in which we've asked why Brexit's still happening. Our editors described Number 10 as acting like a Bond villain, and we've looked at the astonishing amount of cocaine being taken in London. If you've missed any, they're all still available, and you can subscribe to keep up through the week. We're back at 4pm on Monday. Have a good weekend. <laughs>